0: Let's, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the call to be your witnesses to the world, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors. And I just pray that as we look at the possible identity of these two witnesses, uh, that you would just encourage good discussion and encourage the concept of being a witness and speaking for you and on your behalf. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, turn to Revelation, and we're going to be in chapter 11, uh, looking at verse 3, starting there to 13. So, 10 verses we're going to read there, and that's the section on the witnesses, and we're going to just kind of discuss identity of these guys. So, All right. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth and one thousand two hundred and sixty days is how long? Three and a half years. Good job. All right. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that arises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tent of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay, there's a bunch of Old Testament uh, references to Exodus and to Second Kings in this passage. Um, I'm not going to read those tonight. I might end up hitting those on some of that on Sunday. Um, what I do want to do is we're looking at the possible identities of the witnesses, and there is a passage that speaks to that. So we want to read that uh, now. So it says they are the two uh, two olive trees and the two lampstands. So we're going to cross-reference that to Zechariah, and that's in Zechariah chapter four. Uh, we're going to not read. It's all four. Of ch- all of chapter four applies. But we're gonna just read uh, some of chapter four, just to save some time. Um, any any questions about just what I read in Revelation three eleven? Any any questions? There are three. Uh, I mean eleven three through thirteen. Anything jump out? Zechariah 4, 1 through 3 says, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, Behold, I see a lampstand of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. Then we're going to skip down to verse 11. It says, Then I said to him, What are the two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are, the t- are these two al- branches of the olive trees which are beside the golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So we learn something about these two witnesses, right? They are anointed ones, and they stand or they, they have a position in heaven right um, by by the Lord of the whole earth, okay, um, so, but we still don't know like identity, right uh, so it could be translated as a messiah or set apart. Okay, so first, here's our options, or some options. Uh, the two witnesses are literal people with the identity that ca- with their identity cannot be identified definitely. Okay, so you don't know. That's Walvoord and Ladd think that. The fact that their work is described in such detail argues that they were historical people, meaning that they are real people. These two are prophets whom God will raise up after the rapture from among those who turn to Christ after the rapture in the tribulation period. So that's what these guys are saying. They don't know the identities, but it's it's two Christians. It's two saints uh, that God calls to be prophets after the rapture. Very possible. I think. Uh, looking at the symbology in it, one could be a Jew who believes in Jesus and the other a Gentile who believes in Jesus, given the metaphor of the olive tree and the lampstands. Now, in Revelation 1, 2 and 3, the lampstands are represented by, you remember, what do the lampstands represent? Oh, there is the menorah in the Holy of Holies, yes, but in chapters 2 and 3, each church is a lampstand, right? Oops, not used to a handheld mic here. So the second option is they are literal people, and specifically Moses and Elijah. Who's heard that before? Yeah, okay. Some of us have heard that. This this is probably a a pretty popular one. Um, According to 2 Kings 2.11, Elijah was taken up without dying, and there was a similar tradition about Moses. Uh, The return of these two men at the end of the age was expected by Christians While Jews expected Elijah to return in the account of the transfiguration, it is Moses and Elijah who appears with Jesus. These two represent the law who represents the law. Moses and who would represent the prophets Elijah. Yeah, so these two represent the law and prophets. Yes. Yeah, we're we're going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I think this one has some problems, right? That, die, people, you know, line, you know. Yes. Yep. So, and I could not confirm the tradition concerning Moses. Like um I looked for quite a while um at a lot of different uh Old texts, and I couldn't find it, uh, anything that confirmed that comment on that com that the comment that that commentator made. Does that make sense? Um, so I don't know where he's pulling that from. And then yeah, I this is the point to what you said. If we look at what we do know about Moses, especially the end of his life, Deuteronomy thirty four five through seven says, "So Moses, the servant of the Lord." What's it say there? He died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he bur- and he buried and the Lord buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So um, there's some God buried Moses, but it does clearly say in that text that Moses died. I I don't think that. God couldn't send Moses anyways, but I don't think that that's the case. Moses was a years old when he died, his eyes were undimmed, and his vigor unabated so but this this Deuteronomy clearly communicates that Moses died uh Jude nine though has an interesting talk and and this is probably some of that. Uh, tradition and stuff about Moses that maybe the early church is pulling off of. But when Michael the archangel contended with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you, right? Um, this text um, is thought to be taken from uh, the uh, uh, a lost book. Uh, called the Assumption of Moses. We don't have a copy of it, but it's referred to by early church fathers and things. Um, That's who uh, attributed that. But we don't have any tradition attested to any survivors' Jewish legend concerning the death of Moses, according to uh, Lexingham Bible Dictionary. Okay, but then 2 Kings 2.11 talks about Elijah and why they... As they were st- and as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and a horse of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And behold, and then if we skip, this is one, probably the strongest text for Moses and Elijah because this is the ascension, right, uh, in, the, in the Gospels. Um, And he had taken uh, Peter, James, and John, and they were up there. And while he was uh, there, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, let's establish the kingdom now. Um, So. Uh, that that verse right there, that the ascension passage, is probably the strongest passage to make an argument that that the uh, two witnesses could be Moses and Elijah, because they show up in this ascension scene. Um, but again, it's speculation. I personally probably prefer the first uh, conclusion. It's two people that God calls um, and places that on. But there is good. A strong argument, also, in for Moses and Elijah in the plagues and the turning the blood and the closing the sky. Those are all Moses and Elijah activities, and we don't know a whole lot about what Enoch's activities uh, were uh, from te- from the scripture text. Um, but the third view is they are literally people, Enoch and Elijah, who had been translated to heaven without having died, which is what Rick was. Referring to so Enoch never died and neither did Elijah but Everybody's supposed to die, right? So uh, Tertullian says because these guys didn't die they're gonna come back and die Because they have to die. Uh, that's his that's his logic And uh, Tertullian is a very early church father for second century uh, church father, but we we First to hear about Enoch in Genesis 5:24 it says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him, right? And we're all familiar with him. and he, he, he has a special place in the genealogy. He's the seventh from Adam. Um, it's supposed to be a, a number of completion and perfection though. By faith, Enoch was taken up. It's confirmed by the New Testament here, Hebrews 11:5. Uh, that he should not see death, and he he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, right? And we know that this passage in Hebrews is without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? So it's by faith that we come to know God. Faith in what? In Jesus, yeah, and what he's done. So then Jude has an interesting thing about Enoch. It says it was also about these talking about false teachers and prophets that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. And it goes on to talk about the second coming of Christ. So we know Enoch from this passage, uh, at least in the New Testament, was seen as a prophet. Um, So Enoch, no d- so this is Toltelian. Uh, he's a second century early church father. Okay, so second ten- century. So all the apostles have died, but these are the first f- church uh, leaders that are writing. Okay. And he says, Enoch, no doubt, was translated, and so was Elijah. Nor did they experience death. It was postponed and only postponed. Most certainly, they are resolved for suffering of death that by their blood they may extinguish the Antichrist. So, Tertullian thinks that uh, these two witnesses in Revelation 11 are who? Who, Riker? Who are they? Two E's. Remember the first one? Franklin says Enoch. Yep, and what's the other one? Elijah. Good job. Okay, and then we have Hippolytus, or Hippolytus, Hippolytus, however you want to say his name. His first advent had John the Baptist as its forewarner, talking about Jesus. And his second, in which he is to come in glory, will exhibit Enoch and Elias, which is another variation of Elijah. And then he says, and John the Divine, which is really weird. But this is third century, so this is quite a ways after after, uh, John has been written. Um, uh, there's nothing else really in the text that would indicate that, um, d- John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, which is an interesting thing, um, to think about, uh, that's what Jesus claims, um, and, and, uh, if Jesus claims that it, it's true, right? So, um, but it wasn't actually physically Elijah that came, so I think that might contribute to maybe it not being literal people, but I'm not uh, the actual literal people, but maybe they're in the mode or the spirit of these two great prophets, right? Um, so that, that's a possibility. Again, what are we doing? We're looking at data, but we're speculating, right? Because it doesn't actually give us the advent. I mean the answer. Okay, so uh, this one uh, uses a little different lens uh, than what we typically we use. They talk; o- they think of it as a symbol, and they get they do this a lot in Revelation. And uh, a lot of the times, I think they do it without justification. Um, but they have they do draw out some interesting uh, parallels. So. Uh, this view sees these two individuals as symbolic of the church, um, so the the representing the church in that time period. Um, then they also symbolize the church as being a royal and priestly, in keeping with the symbolism in Revelation 11:4. And then it's they they say that it is modeled after Moses and Elijah. Uh, this uh, symbolic view, because of the the miracles that the that these two prophets do, right? Uh, shut up the sky, call fire down from heaven, right, to consume people, uh, speak out plagues, turn the water to blood, right? Those are all both big miracles that Moses or Elijah did. Um, but then it says that uh, they believe it symbolizes the church as a witness seeing as a witnessing church uh during the uh tribulation uh period um I think the part of the challenge doesn't wanna um, I, it goes on to say they symbolize part of the church since chapter one. There were seven lampstands, and here there are only two. Um, and it speaks to that maybe those two are the only two churches that had no uh, complaint against them. Um, they are the Christian martyrs, some uh, who will be who will supply sufficient evidence, uh, being the two witnesses against the church's opposition. So, once you go to a symbolic uh, rendering of this, it kind of uh, I think it loses the impact of of the effect of God, push placing His hand on two specific people to speak to the world and doing these different things. Now, I think it though do, does though lend to the to the application side where we are all God's what, well all God's witnesses, right? We're all to be God's witnesses, right? Um, but Revelation eleven four says these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the Earth, and that's that definitely that reference back to Zechariah chapter four that we read at the beginning. Any any questions about the idea of it, it, those they're not being two literal people, but symbolizing? Uh, Christians and specifically the church uh, in in the tribulation period. Anybody have any questions or thought about that? Rick, if they want to go up and play air hockey, they can do that. I'm okay with that. No questions. Okay. That's a lot to digest, yeah. Uh, I don't think that that the author is tangently uh, trying to make it the church. I think he would make it more clear. I think John is trying to communicate literally to people. Um, and I think those people could be definitely in the spirit of Moses and Elijah because of what they do, right? But it doesn't have to literally be Moses and Elijah or the spirit of Enoch and Elijah, but it doesn't have to actually be them. Just like John the Baptist was not Elijah. But I do believe it's two people. Um, I believe you leave lose some of the thrust of the text when you make it uh, symbolic. Uh, let's see. Uh, there we go. So the last one is that it's just talking about those two. Uh, it's symbolic of being a sufficient witness uh, to the word of God and to God's just judgment. Um, and they quote Deuteronomy 6:15 15 uh, and 19. It says that which establishes the principle to ch- for a charge to be considered valid. It must have how many witnesses? Yeah, two witnesses in the Deuteronomy and then uh, Franklin quotes the New Testament, which says two or three. And so these two witnesses at the end of Revelation or towards the end period of Revelation are validating God's judgment. And I think that has some legitimacy in that there is a validation there, um, but it's not a symbolic. It's literally those two people are giving that evidence so Deuteronomy 17:6 says on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses which Franklin you know, said the one who it is to die shall be put to death a portion shall not be to put to death on the evidence of one witness so it's this crying out of validity that God's judgments are righteous and true right so It's interesting to think about their different identities, but even though we don't know what their identity is, uh, we can trust that God will always have a witness, won't he? He says uh, that if we don't cry out, right, the rocks, the stones will cry out. So he'll always have a witness. And what does it say about creation, Creation declares the glory of God, right? So he will always have a witness. But I think it's important to recognize that we have an honor to witness, right? It's an honor to be a witness for God. That's not something to be disgraceful about or to be scared of because it's an honor to represent and to be a witness for God, the the creator of the universe, right? So that's a huge, huge privilege. And sometimes I think that uh we we might lose sight of that sometimes, right? Because we're scared. Because it is scary. I mean, what happens to these two witnesses, right? They die, right? And witness in and of itself, do you know what the Greek word for witness is? Motor. So often many people uh, are called to die for their faith, right? And that's the ultimate uh, witness. Marder, as in M-A-T-Y-R, Marder, yeah. So I'm going to go with the boring one, and I think it's two people that God calls to be prophets at that time in the spirit of um, possibly Moses and Elijah. But I'm boring that way. Anybody else want to take a pick? Enoch and Elijah, that's a good one. Got Got a favorite? that you're going for, Ginger? You don't know? Okay. How about you, Franklin? <laughs> Moses and just good enough for you, okay. Uh, Enoch and, and uh, Elijah has got the early church fathers swinging for them, so that, that's kind of cool. How about you, Joyce? Who are you picking? Okay, that's fine <laughs> yeah, you don't right right and and I think the important thing is is you know we're not adamant about this. this is just kinda like a fun thing, right. We're not going to get in a big debate over the identity, right? But it is kind of interesting to think about it. How about this? Our tradition typically doesn't take it as symbol, right? That's, That's outside of our normal thinking zone. So I think thinking of it as a symbol, what are some of the benefits that we can draw from that, right? So thinking of it as a symbol of the church right so if we think of it as a symbol of the church Uh, Does it become more uh, familiar to us or less familiar? Less for you because of the tradition in which you were raised, which I can understand that. In one way, they become more relatable, right? Because they are who? Us, right? I'm not – I'm just saying I'm bending your mind because that's not in our typical thought. Does that make sense? But if we see it as symbol and then they're symbolizing the church, then those witnesses become us, right, the church. And then we can see if we would carry that out, uh, the church is empowered, right, and equipped in the midst of its persecution, right? The church is a people, yes, not, not a building. That is that is very good uh, observation to make. So so how long were they witnessing for or prophesying for? Anybody remember? I read it. Three and a half years? Yeah. So the speculation then would be, if you were a futurist, uh, they're prophesying for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, which is how long? Seven years, yeah. And that's pretty much the core of that is based on Daniel nine twenty seven, right? So, oh, and uh, Hi- Hi- Hippopolius, that third century church father, uh, definitely took a literal interpretation of that whole passage and the three and a half years. So that was in my reading. Interesting. Free fact. <laughs> All right. Any questions about revelation or what we read or what we discussed? Yeah, so there is problems with with it, yeah. Um it would be then the motto's die, like people in the church die. Yeah, so that's, it has issues. And in a sense, yeah, there's ma- mass resurrection, but it's not literal in that text. It's meeting the Lord in the air. And it's not this literal, I think, you know, like uh, in the Left Behind series, it's like they're on the news, right? You Remember that? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, they would say that the idea is that the whole world knows that the church is a martyr and a witness by its death, of its saints. That's how they would take that. And the, and I guess the thing is, is they wouldn't. They're not futurists, right? So they're na- It's like either in the past or it's now. So, yeah.